Please be seated. If you haven't got the Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 2, that's where we'll be spending our time today from verse 4 onwards. Um, One question that you might receive, maybe possibly if you go for a job interview, is this. If you were to describe your personality in three words, what would you say? Handsome, charming, youthful. That's how I describe our senior assistant, Reg Piper. Bishop Reg Piper. Would you agree? No, how dare you not agree. How would you describe yourself in three words? What would you use? Well, um, it's really important how you think about yourself because how you think about yourself will in some sense help you to live out what you think of yourself. So if you're a little bit timid, uh, you think less of yourself, then you'll act in a timid way. But what if I asked you to do something a bit trickier? How would you describe a group of people? What three words would you use to describe your family? Dysfunctional, harmonious. Uh, What words would you use to describe that group of people? It gets a little bit more complicated. And then on top of that, I want to ask and address the question, if you were to describe God's people in three words, or how would you describe God's people? Weird, wonderful, friends, acquaintances, family. How would you describe God's people? Well, today we're looking at how Peter wants us to understand how to describe God's God's people. Because at the moment, the people that Peter is writing to, they don't feel very people, God's people like. They feel scattered, strangers and outcasts. So for our time this morning, I want us to see what Peter, how he describes and defines the community of God's people. And by doing so, work out how we ought to live. In the previous chapter, we see in chapter 1 how we're defined as individuals who believe. We are born again with a living hope. And so now we're going to turn to how we are to live out our identity as God's people. So firstly, let's have a look. Point one, we are God's new temple for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices. There's a bit of jargon in there and hopefully we'll be able to explain that. But the point is that we are being built for a purpose. Let's have a look at the scriptures, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter wants this fragile and scattered people to know that they are living stones in God's new temple. When you think of stones, you think of um, strong, don't you? Not fragile. That each one of them is a brick in God's spiritual house. But it's not just a physical building, it's a living and breathing building made of people where God dwells. And that's us too. We also, who have come to Christ, we are God's new temple. And this has always been part of God's plan. 
if you cast your minds back to King David, God made this promise to the great King David that one of his sons would build a temple for his name's sake. If you know the Old Testament, you'll know that the nation of Israel, it was their great hope that the true God would one day come back to live forever with them in the temple. And Peter shows that actually Jesus fulfills this plan. God's very own precious son is the foundational stone, the cornerstone, the stone in which everything holds on to and which the temple is being built from. Now, of course, there's no longer a physical stone building. This building project that God is on about is you and me who've come to Christ. It's flesh in us. And God desires to dwell amongst his people and build us into the new temple on his son Jesus. And he's the living stone. And this is so important. Have you ever heard of people saying, you know, the church is dying? Or maybe you feel weary because you think, oh... Churches are closing down and it feels like maybe churches are dead and that weighs on you and you feel disheartened. But the fact that Jesus is the living stone in whom all the little living stones are connected to should actually remind us that the church building is really just a building. Yes, it's... um, It is a lovely building, no doubt, but it keeps the rain off, unless you're sitting right in the back underneath the... the, Anyway, let's not go into that. But it's supposed to keep the rain off, isn't it? And the building is just there so that we can have shelter and we can come together to hear God's word and focus on him. But the church are the people of God and we're connected to the living one. This is the resurrected one, the one who will never die. This is the living hope. And so if church, that is the people of God, is connected to the living one, God's people will never vanish, will never diminish. And in fact, have a look again at the tense that's used. I'm sorry to get all um, Englishy on you, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Present tense, we're being built. God is still building this spiritual house. And to be part of this building project, you simply come to Jesus and know that he is precious because Christ is everything to this building and, of course, if you're a Christian, he is everything to you. If you want God to dwell with you, you must first come to Christ, put your trust in him and see that he is the most precious thing. Whenever I hear the word precious, though, um, I'm a, it's a one track for me. I think of Lord of the Rings with Gollum. You know, the, uh, my precious. Uh, and he, you know, he, and uh, yes, he may not be the greatest role model, but we can learn something about what it means to have something precious. It means to guard it, to keep it, to cling onto it. That is what it means to hold something precious. And God. And his son, God sees Jesus as precious. And we, who are connected to him, we are to see him as precious as well. And then we become precious as well to God. Valued, held on to. And the thing is that if you don't see Jesus as precious, there's only other one option. It's to see Jesus as dangerous. See, Jesus can either make you or break you. 
There's no middle ground. And that's why Peter quotes those Old Testament scriptures from verses 6 to 8. He makes it clear you either trust him or you reject him. You either reject Jesus and face shameful judgment or you embrace Jesus and never be put to shame. It's like if a stream has diverted, you put a big rock in the middle of the stream, there's only two ways that it can go from there. You either reject Jesus and stumble and sin or you embrace him as precious and not worthless. And for those of us who are connected to Christ, our destiny is tied with him. He's the living stone, we're the little living stones. He's precious to God, we are precious to God. We are rejected by people because Jesus was rejected first. Our Christian understanding is shaped by Christ's experience as well as his victory over death. So keep coming to Jesus, keep holding on to him, keep clinging to him, making him precious. But what's our purpose? Why are we being built into God's new temple? What is the purpose? And that is to offer spiritual sacrifices. Uh, Verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, Because of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, there's no longer a physical sacrifice for sin that that is needed. Because of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, we're cleansed and we're sprinkled by his blood, which means we can live lives that are pleasing and are acceptable to God. Not because of us, but because we've been sprinkled by his blood. So what do we make of spiritual sacrifices? As we look around the letter, uh, and particularly last chapter, we see that to offer spiritual sacrifices are to live a holy life to be distinct from the world, to be obedient to Jesus, to not conform to evil desires. Now, um, one of the things I enjoy, which I haven't always enjoyed, was the time, do you remember, this is probably showing my age now, do you remember the time where if you were going to pay a credit card bill, you have to go to the bank to pay it? Do you remember that? No one remembers that. Okay. And then there was that revolution where you could go to Australia Post to pay your bills. Whoa, thank you, Australia Post. But I marvel these days that I can just walk around and pay my bills on my phone anywhere, as long as there's internet connection. But that doesn't help the point of this illustration here. The point is that I'm not restricted to a building. I'm not restricted to a place. And what does that mean about us when it comes to spiritual sacrifices? Back in the Old Testament, spiritual sacrifices in the temple, but you are the temple now. So you can offer spiritual sacrifices anywhere and everywhere because your life is all about worshipping God. So whether you're in the home, you can offer spiritual sacrifices there by being holy, obedient to Jesus. Whether you're at work or school or TAFE, or university, whether you're caring for children, grandchildren, whether you're involved in your sporting club or the other rotary club or whatever it is, wherever you are, you can seek to be wholly obedient to Jesus. It doesn't require the physical temple because you are the temple. 
And Christ has made your sacrifices acceptable to God. See, God wants the whole earth to be full of his glory. That's why we go out into the world, so that we might help in showing that glory. All of your life is worship of God. It's not that only here we worship. No, we do worship here. But when you leave here, we worship too. Spiritual sacrifice is all about your transformed behaviour because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And you can do that anywhere because you are God's temple. So I hope you see that Christ should be precious to you. And you know what that means? Christ is precious to you. You also need to see that the people around you here are precious as well because they're connected to Christ as well. So don't not only just take Christ as precious but see each other as precious. You are born again into a community together. This building, I presume, I'm not an engineer, but I guess it needs pretty much all the bricks. Don't you reckon? It'd be pretty bad if some were missing, or at worst, it'd all come down. And that's the community of God as well. Now, every brick is important in the building of the church. There's not one who's more important than the other, except for Christ, but each brick is important. When you look around, are, are the people here precious to you in the same way that Christ is precious to you? Well, we've looked at our corporate relationship to God and now we're going to look at our corporate relationship to the world. And that's what we're going to focus on for point two. Point two, together as God's chosen people, we demonstrate and declare who God is and what he has done for the world, to the world. So in other words, together as God's people, we bring God to the world and we desire people to come to God. We are a community bringing people to God and in our ordinary lives we seek to lead our Christian lives in order to show and tell God, demonstrate and declare God and what he has done. Verses 9 and 10 is where we get this idea from. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now Peter, remember, is saying to these scattered exiles, to these people who are on the outer edges of society, you're chosen. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood to the nations. Now, um, priesthood probably gets a bit of a bad rap um, and for probably good reasons. But let your definition of the priesthood be defined by the scriptures and not the scandals. And here, priesthood is the idea of being a mediator from God to people. Back in the Old Testament, the priest was the mediator between God and Israel. And here, it's no longer God and Israel. We, as the royal priesthood, are mediators to the world. And it's royal priesthood. Now, at times we might think royal, poo-poo that, you know, we're, we, we, you know we, don't have, we don't have anything to do with the royal family. Um, but 
and we can be a bit critical, downplay their importance, but the fact is that when you are royal, you're important. Okay, that's, that's, that's pretty clear. You, when you are royal, you are important. So let me tell you about my connection to royalty. When my family were staying in the same hotel at, with Prince Charles and Princess Diana, we went down to the lobby to have a look. I don't know what we saw. I think I was about this high. Couldn't see above anyone else. But my parents assured me we were in the same hotel and we saw Princess Diana. Whoa. Connection to royalty. Whoa. Second thing. My daughter Sarah shares, I know it's going to be unbelievable, the same birthday as Princess Diana. No, no, as uh, Catherine and Prince William's daughter, Charlotte, 2nd of May, 2015. I've got the birth certificate to prove it. (laughs) And get this, it's not just that, it's more to it. See someone just, what's going on here? (laughs) And they share a middle name as well, Elizabeth. I know, you are blown away, yeah. (laughs) Don't bow to me when you leave this place, okay? All right, I've got nothing to do, I've got no connection with royalty. But what we learn here is that actually we are all connected to royalty, aren't we? We're part of the royal priesthood. And even though we may think that's not much, that is so important, so important to God that he's given you this. And it's not because you deserve it, it's not because you've earned it, and he's given you this position in order that he might be known to our world. Remember, part of being the royal priesthood is to bring God to people. That's what the priests would do when they go between God and people. And God wants us, all of us, in terms of the believers, the people of God, to bring God by the things that we say and the things that we do. Um, Last night, one of my kids was uh, asking why I had to work on Father's Day. And I said, yeah, that's right, I have to work on Father's Day. No, 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 I didn't think about it actually until they mentioned it. And then I got really bitter. Just kidding, just kidding. What I did say to them was I said, I tried to say something on the lines of, it's my privilege to serve the people of God. It really is my privilege. And so my child responded by asking, well, does that mean you're a priest? I'm going, whoa, where did that come from? Okay. But it might feel like that, that the priests are the the clergy or the ordained people in the church, and that's not the case. I I tried to convince her that we were all, uh, whoever that child was, we're all all believers, we're all royal priesthood of believers. It's not me that's a priest and you're not a part of the priesthood. It's inescapable. When you trust in Christ and you belong to his church, and that's an automatic you, trust in Christ, you're part of the church, you are priestly. You are trusted, entrusted to bring God to the world by showing it in your life, by declaring it with your words. 
And that's it, isn't it? Royal priesthood, we demonstrate what God has done in our lives. We See verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have become God's people by grace. We are a grace-motivated people. We are mercy-motivated people. We are compassionate-motivated people. But also, we are people of the light. Verse 9, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We live as people of the light. We live as people who have received mercy. That's how we show God's power, his mercy and his kindness. But also, we speak up. We declare with our mouths God's praises in the midst of our world. We say Jesus is great. When we go through tough times and our unbelieving friends ask us, what helped you to get through that? We're tempted to say, well, it's actually, it's only my hope in Christ that keeps me going on. As God's people, that's our role, to show and tell God. It's, you know what it's like, show and tell. Uh, every Friday... For Sarah, it's, it's Newsday and it's a big deal. So big. So we're just slowly moving through all the soft toys. That's what we're doing. That's how important it is. Newsday for Sarah is only Friday. But for you, Newsday is every day. You've been caught out of darkness. Show that wonderful light. Speak of God's mercy and kindness. You cannot help but witness to God in the world if you're a Christian. Now, for some of us, we're not good at it, and that's okay. We've got to keep trusting in Christ and seeking to live life obedient to him. You can either be a good go-between or a bad go-between, but you cannot choose. You are a go-between. You are the body of the people of God who have been chosen to bring God to the people. And it's not just individuals, it's corporate. It's a whole. It's not just by ourselves. We're to do it together as a team. It's more of a team sport than individual sport, bringing God to the world. I think for most of us we think evangelism is an individual sport. We do that by ourselves with our friends. What does this teach us? It teaches us that actually we're to do it together. Our vision here at St Michael's is that more and more disciples of Jesus shine as lights in the city of Wollongong. This is our vision to see that. Sure, we may not have the same job and we may not be able to have the same gifts, but we need to pull together so that we might demonstrate and declare God to the world by using the different gifts that we have. Take, for example, the Simply Christianity course. I think this is a really good, a great way that we can team up. Someone might have the gift of speaking. Someone might have the gift of hosting. Someone might have the gift of serving food that won't kill people. And someone might be, have the gift of being able to invite people along. And then others, Christian participants in the course, can help those around them to know and trust Jesus, say helpful things. It's a team effort. It's not up to me. It's not up to you alone. It's up to us. It's a team effort. We work together to bring Christ into the world. So if you're feeling like this is very overwhelming, don't feel overwhelmed. How about we gather together and do it as a team? And so here's a couple of things to think through and then we'll finish off. Is there something you do individually that you could do with others from church? 
If you play a sport, can you invite someone along to that? If you're a part of a club, can you invite another Christian, another believer from here to go along with you, to encourage you and to team up so that you might declare and demonstrate God to that club or to that sport? Is there something that you do individually that you could do with others from church? Maybe it's school. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's an exercise. And then next, what do you do together with people here that you could be more of a witness of God's mercy and kindness? There are plenty of things that happen in church and that's wonderful. But is it, is it and maybe you gather with people here, but is there something you can do together? Sam Chan, who's written a great book about evangelism, he says this, that if you want people to engage with Christianity, one of the great things you can do is get your friends to be friends with your unbelieving, your Christian friends to be friends with your unbelieving friends. And I think it really does come back to this, where to do this together. And if you're at work, well, what a great opportunity to demonstrate. You may not have the opportunities to speak all the time, but you can demonstrate, can't you? Billy Graham said this, I believe that one of the next great moves of God is going to be through believers in the workplace. What a great opportunity that you have to connect with people that only you can connect with. Well, let's finish off. We start off today considering how do we describe the people of God? And the reason why we're doing this is that when we are clear in how we describe and define the people of God, it will actually help us in our behaviour to live it out as the people of God. And we're reminded of two main things. You are God's temple. You're a living stone in that temple. You're set apart to please him. And you can do that anytime, anywhere, because you are the temple. God is dwelling with you. And secondly, you are royalty. You are a royal priesthood to bring God to people and God willing to bring people to God. But not on your own, together, to demonstrate and declare who God is and what he has done. Isn't it great that we aren't just a bunch of individuals, but we've been brought together for a greater purpose? I'll pray. Thanks, Father, for reminding us of our common corporate identity, that we are people who have been saved and brought into um, your kingdom and we are now your temple where you dwell by your spirit. Father, help us as your people to mediate you and what you've done to our world, either by our actions or by what we say, and help us to use the great gifts that you have blessed us in this church in order to do that. And we pray that we'll keep thinking not just individually, individualistically, but how we can do this together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.